You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates. That all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you. To see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages. Creator. Author. Victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people. And it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained. Overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And uh, tonight we are going to be starting off without Mark only for a moment. He is, um, you know, at a place where he cannot uh, be on just because of um, driving because he's at work calling all of the stuff. So we're going to start without him tonight reading data about keys, part three of chapter seven of Holy Priesthood, volume six. Um, Emmett is on tonight with me anyways. Um, Emmett, can you Hello? hear me even though that fan is on? I can't even hear the fan hardly. 
So that's good. Okay. So you're good. All right. Um, all right, why don't you start by saying the prayer for us? If you want to, you don't have to if you don't want to. Uh, sure, I will. Okay, do you have the studio open already or no? Yes, I do. Um, I have it open okay. right next to me. Okay, I was just making sure. Okay, so um, I'll mute myself and you go ahead and say the uh, prayer and then, um, you know, uh, inviting hopefully the Spirit to be with us and, you know, have... Um, a good radio show tonight oh. that we'll be able to learn some good things here. Okay. Did you uh, say what day it was? Because <laughs> um, usually it's the first thing Dad does. No, yeah, Dad does. He says that first. Today is Monday, the nineteenth of July, two thousand and twenty-one. Yeah. Okay. Um, now that I know what day it is, and everyone else does, <laughs> um, I'm going to say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, I am thankful for this day. Please help that the radio show will go good, or well, I guess. I don't know the correct grammar there. And also, please help that my dad will be able to call in soon and that he will have good service for the rest of the night, or for at least as long as he can. Um, I ask that we'll all be able to do all the things that we need to do and that uh, we'll all be safe and everyone who's listening will also be able to do what they need to do and be safe. Um, and I also ask that uh, the reading will go smoothly and that we won't have any technical difficulties or electronic issues like we do sometimes. Um, and I ask that we'll all be able to do all the things that we need to do and that um, everyone will be fine. And I think these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um. Okay, thanks for it. Um, I just had to remember how to unmute it using these uh, headphones. <clears throat> so that's what yeah. I was doing. Um, if you could uh, run upstairs and check on the girls, I think they're up in my room, but the baby's taking a nap up there, and I don't want them to wake him up and him be ornery. So <clears throat> if you could do uh, that while I begin right reading, that would be amazing. You're <clears throat> beginning, okay. Yep, I'll begin reading. Okay, so we are going to be reading, again, I um, said this, Data About Keys, Part 3 of Chapter 7 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, pages 117 to 128 tonight, so that should keep it nice and short. <clears throat> Let's see, number one, related passages on keys. There are several interesting scriptural passages that refer to those holding keys, um, and this, I guess, is number one within the number one, because here's another number one. Elijah held the keys of the sealing power, turning the hearts of the fathers and children in ancient Israel. That's Malachi chapter four, uh, cha or, sorry, verses six, five and six. Um, also, it's in DNC chapter 27, verse nine, and also DNC 110, verse 13 through 16. Number two, Nephi, the son of Helaman, in the earlier Christian era, also held important keys of sealing. That's Helaman chapter 10, 4 through 10. Number three, Elias held the keys of the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham. DNC 110, verse 12. While another called by the same name, probably Gabriel or Noah, was committed the keys of bringing to pass the restoration of all things spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began concerning the last days. That's DNC chapter 27, verse 6. 
Number four, Moroni holds the keys of the record of the stick of Ephraim. That's the in C27 verse five. <clears throat> Number five, Jesus Christ, when he appeared to John said, I am he that liveth and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. That's Revelation chapter one, verse 18. During the ministry of Jesus, he spoke to the lawyers, woe unto you lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. That's Luke chapter 11, verse 52. Regarding this passage, Matthew Henry wrote in his commentaries, um, let's see, this says verse 52, and then one, and I'm not sure what the, I'm not sure what that means. Okay. They, lawyers, are reproved for opposing the gospel of Christ and doing all they could to obstruct the process and success of it. They had not, according to the duty of their place, faithfully expounded to the people those scriptures of the Old Testament, which pointed at the Messiah, which if they had been led into the right understanding of by the lawyers, they would readily have embraced him and his doctrine. But instead of that, they had perverted those texts and had cast a myth, a myth before the eyes of the people by their corrupt glosses upon them. And this is called taking away the key of knowledge. Instead of using that key for the people and helping them to use it all right, use it all right, they hid it from them. This is called, in Matthew, shutting up the kingdom of the heavens against men. Matthew 23, 13. And we're on page 118 now. It's Matthew 23, verse 13. <clears throat> Excuse me. Note, these who take away the key of knowledge shut up the kingdom of heaven. And then two, in asterisk, or in parentheses, they themselves did not embrace the gospel of Christ though by their acquaintance with the Old Testament, they could not but know that the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God was at hand. They saw the prophecies accomplished in that kingdom, which our Lord Jesus was about to set up, and yet would not themselves enter into it. Nay, number three, them that were without any guidance or assistance of theirs were entering in, they did all they could to hinder and discourage by threatening to cast them out of the synagogue and otherwise terrifying them. It is bad for people to be averse to Revelation, but much worse to be averse to it. That's Matthew Henry's Commentaries, Volume 4, page 704. This incident should be a warning to lawyers both in and out of the church. Furthermore, it could apply to all the church leaders to prevent people from hearing the true gospel. is taking away the key of knowledge. Jesus repeatedly warned the people about the scribes and the Pharisees who sat in Moses' seat. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Ye encompass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold, more than the, chi more the child of hell than yourselves. That's Matthew 23, 13, and 15. And now we're on page 119, and I'm just going to say something. Um, so then 
what I would do, uh, or hold on one second, my daughter's talking to me. Olivia? Yes. Um, did you add both cans, a bigger can? I only opened up one. I was going to add it into its own pot and then put more into it so that we had enough for everybody. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I'm teaching my daughter um, how to cook. She's not, she's 12, and at her age, in ancient times, in the times of Christ, she would be old enough to be married and have her own household. But she is 12 years old, and in our society, we keep kids, little children, even longer. And Olivia is my favorite. She is learning how to do things like cooking and cleaning and helping out with, you know, other chores. We're trying to help her to be more self-sufficient and responsible. It's fun, I think. She just looked at me and laughed when I told her that in ancient times. Kids were married at that time, and she was like, what? (laughs) It's so cute. Anyways, I was going to speak on what I was talking about in here, though, so I'm going to do that, Olivia. You can keep doing that. Um, And don't forget the bread that I stuck into the oven. Okay, so I just wanted to say, this is one of the hardest things. Ten, five minutes, that's it. Okay, sorry, so distracting. Um, So this, what what we're talking about right now, um, how people, they they skew the truth. They're white liars. Um, They... They put their own, um, their own, what is it called? I'm trying to figure out what the right words to use. But what they do is they change history. They try to change what history actually happened and what it is. No, in the bowl that's underneath the the rolly thing. Man, this is getting distracting. Olivia, can you not distract me anymore, please? Thank you. Um, Try again, which is why this is hard. Okay, so I was going to say, one of the worst things that anybody can do, it's it's like um, what you'd call the sin next to murder. A lot of people think that's a sexual sin, um, but that's not actually what that says. Um, When you lead people away from God, when you lead them away from the truth and uh, away from Christ, Uh, That is the sin next to murder because you are misguiding people with white lies, with um, partial truth uh, to try to uh, make your own agenda um, known and make it seem like your agenda is what is correct Um, instead of just stating the truth. Uh, It makes it harder for people to come unto Christ. It makes it difficult uh, for believers or even non-believers to believe because there's so many people in the world who want to um, further their own profits and their own benefit and and they just want people to follow them. Um, and it makes it more difficult for other people to come to God. It makes it hard for people because everything is so confusing enough down here as it is. It's so overwhelming with the information, what we're trying to learn, what we should be doing, how we should be bettering ourselves and one another, and not making yourself better than everybody else because, guys, we've got to do this all together. It's not a person who's going to go to heaven. It's not a person who's going to be with God. It's a people that will do all that God has commanded. So 
um, this is one of the most difficult things is people who put lies and they intermingle their own words with truth to make it uh, something that it isn't. To change history, to change the truth. It's one of the things I dislike the most about um, people and um, even in text. We have uh, gone to, um, actually, Mark will probably talk about that. We went to something last night and it was really, um, you know, informative. It was kind of interesting and it was exciting at first to think, oh, maybe then we could have the real translation of the Hebrew uh, from the Hebrew into English rather than, you know, have it switch from language to language. Because every single time that somebody um, translates something, it is translated as far as the person's own understanding, who is translating it. And then, of course, as people are reading it, it is um, translated, you know, in their own minds and how they are understanding it. So, um I don't know, maybe we should all just learn to read Hebrew. <laughs> um, however... Is that what those books next to me are? All these random books? Yes, yeah, the books, um, which we haven't read yet. Cool. <clears throat> I want to read but them. But it does make it... Yeah, that's good. You can read whatever you want to that we have here in it. Um, it makes it harder for people to um, follow God and to um, know the truth of all things. However, and I will say this, um, it, it, that's why it makes it so important for everybody to get revelation for themselves. That's why it's important for everybody who can hear me, everybody who can't hear me too. Um, all of the people in this world, they need to get revelation for themselves. You need to have a personal relationship with God because that's the only way that you are going to be getting to, uh, to God. He's going to explain to you how your life needs to be and what you need to do in your life in order to be with him again. Um, That's the only way it works. Uh, If you're going to follow somebody else uh, around and do what they say, you are, you know, kind of iffy whether or not somebody else is actually going to make it to heaven. Wouldn't you rather it be you? I know it's a lot easier. I think it's easier if you're just doing what somebody else says. It's hard if you're trying to get revelation for yourself. But, um but it's just how it has to happen. And um, you're going to have to get revelation so that you can determine whether or not anybody, all of these scriptures, all of the these things written by lawyers, all of the um, gospels, Dead Sea Scrolls, it's so that you can, you can have discernment. And Elodia, that's super loud. No, she's making it's a making static noise in the background, but you sound fine. You're uh, making staticky noise in the background. It sounds sort of like someone's okay. gargling, but like through a staticky filter. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, anyways, I'll continue reading and get off of that. But really, everybody does need to have a personal relationship with God and be able to um, talk with them or talk with God and know what it is that he would have you do. Because all of these things really are difficult to decipher and and in order for us to know the truth of all things, we have to get that from God. Mark, are you there? Sorry. Oh, okay. I thought I could hear the weird noise in the background. I guess it was you. 
So I'm actually in the house with the kids, and they're coming in and out, and so it's kind of distracting. Uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so you hear all these weird random noises the, periodically. The audio board for the radio show? I did I not. I have no idea. And it is. Yeah. Oh, I, I figured out how to work some of it. Like, I know how to use the microphone, but I haven't figured out how to record anything or set anything to anything yet. Are you using the microphone right now? No, I'm on my headset because <laughs> oh, I already okay. had that. Luckily, everything is charged. I actually did set up the Bluetooth on your phone to it's P2 on your Bluetooth settings. That is the soundboard. So I was wondering what that was. Yep. Yes. P2, that's it. Anyway, I just came down from uh, Rhino Coal Mine up to Huntington Canyon. So I will mute myself and uh, I'm headed over to Railco to deliver a load of coal. So I'll mute myself and I'm, go ahead. Okay. I'm already sidetracked a bunch, so... This might be one of those nights where we go overboard. Sorry about that. Well, okay, I will continue reading. Chapter <laughs> 7, so, I mean, yeah. All right. <laughs> okay, we're on a page 119. This was the sorrowful tale of rejecting the keys of the knowledge that befell the Christian church. It is certainly a warning to those who would reject those keys today. So that's a warning to everybody. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Number one, conclusion. I don't know why it keeps having these random numbers. So it says number one, conclusion, and now we're going to say number one again, the power of keys. In mortality, power is always used for good or bad. Both God and the devil use power to accomplish their work among men. And the challenge for us is to discern one of one from the other. Oh, sorry. Keys play a part in both kinds of power. They lock or unlock these powers for mankind to witness or to use. Most of these powers are manifest in the form of miracles, a few of which will briefly be briefly mentioned in this section. Moses pled with God over his sister's leprosy. See Numbers chapter 12, verses 13 through 15. Whereas Christ could heal lepers by his touch or even by remote control. Okay. See Matthew 8, verse 3, and also Luke 17, verse 14. Elijah had to stretch himself three times on a dead child to painfully win back his life. That's 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 42 through 44. But Jesus raised the dead with apparent ease. Elijah fed 100 men with 20 loaves, but Christ fed 5,000 with five loaves. <clears throat> Many miracles in the Old Testament were performed by the use of rods, but Jesus accomplished them with a word or a touch of his hand. There are 45 miracles recorded in the first five Old Testament books by Moses and 48 miracles in the four Gospels of the New Testament. Why? The miracles of Jesus are not mere prodigies intended to strike the imagination. There is a close relation between these marvelous facts and the person who does them. They are visible emblems of what he is and what he comes to do. All the miracles of the Bible, Hebert Hebert Lockyer, page 15. 
Now we're on page 120. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that? It is often necessary to readjust, <clears throat> to readjust our understanding of God and of ourselves. The power of miracles can help us do that. The two most common readjustments that should be made are to one number one to enlarge our view of God and number two to reduce our image of ourselves. Keys go hand in hand with the performance of miracles and all other priesthood powers. These powers and keys are commensurate, commensurate with the worthiness of the agent and the, his particular mission in life. For example, regarding Christ's 12 apostles. When he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And they were commanded to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. That's Matthew 10, verses 1 and 8. When Jesus selected his quorum of 70, he gave them the same charges as he did to the 12. The 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy, and nothing shall be by any means hurt you. That's Luke chapter 10, verse 17 and 19. As men obey the word of the Lord, they are given greater opportunities, a better understanding of the will of the Lord, and more power. What may begin with a small whispering of the Spirit may involve, evolve into greater manifestations of the Lord. The more important the mission, the greater the power of revelation, but also the greater the opposition against him by the adversary. Joseph Smith admitted, when I do the best I can, when I'm accomplishing the greatest good, then the most evils and wicked surmisings are got up against me. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 259. Now we're on page 121. The measure of opposition to a man holding the priesthood is often a measure of the power and keys of that man's priesthood. The power of miracles in the Old Testament established the supremacy of God as the true God over the, all the dead gods of idolatry. The power of miracles of Christ established his claims as the true Messiah. In all these miracles, the power of God was manifest for a divine purpose. They were intended to exalt God, not the agent through whom they were performed. Uh, now we're on number two, agencies of power. Did you have anything that you wanted to um, say or add? I wanted to read. <laughs> uh, you know where no, I'm at? I... Yes, I do. You're at number two, agencies of power. That's correct. You can read that if you want to the next paragraph or so. Awesome. If, and you didn't have uh, anything, anything to say, to say Dad? so. Okay. Okay, number two, agencies of power. Even men in the highest clergy position sometimes mistake evil for good. And the devil covers sin with polish and the appearance of good. Thus it happened in the Church of Rome in an attempt to raise money to build St. Peter's Basilica uh, it says see photo on following page, and in this there's like a picture of the Vatican and St. Peter's Basilica. Um, a new idea came from the mind of its leaders. They would sell indulgences or pardons by the authority of the Pope. Uh, that's really, I've learned all about this, and I thought it was pretty hilarious to learn about and kind of frustrating. When a person sinned, he could buy an indulgence entitling him to receive forgiveness. In their minds, the plan was reasonable because they held the keys of Peter and the priesthood. So whomsoever his sins they loosed, it would be done. They thought that this would be a wonderful way to cleanse society of sin 
and at the same time, the money could be used to build this great edifice for the Lord. So the church selected John Tetzel to sell these indulgences. Note, the following three engraved illustrations are taken from history of Protestantism Protestantism by uh, Reverend J.A. Wiley. And now we're on page 222. There's a picture of the Vatican. Uh, Anything to say, Dad or Mom? Nope, I'm good. How about you? Can you guys hear me? I can hear you fine. Okay. But yeah, that whole thing uh, about the, what do they call it? The pardons they did, and they would sell them for stuff, and that was so annoying and dumb. (laughs) Okay, page 123. Uh, I guess that St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican picture takes up an entire page. (laughs) Because it goes from 122 to 123. The infamous traffic was set up in the church, and Tetzel, ascending the pulpit, extolled indulgences as the most precious gift of God. He declared that by virtue of his certificates of pardon, all the sins which the purchaser purchaser should afterwards desire to commit would be forgiven him, and that not even repentance is necessary. More than this, he assured his hearers that the indulgences had power to save not only the living but the dead, that the very moment the money should clink against the bottom of his chest, the soul in whose behalf it had been it had been paid would escape from purgatory and make its way to heaven. When Simon Magus, or Magus offered to purchase of the apostles the power to work miracles, Peter answered him, The money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. But Tetzel's offer was grasped by eager thousands. Gold and silver flowed into his treasury, a salvation that could be bought with money was much more easily obtained than that which requires repentance, faith, and diligent effort to resist and overcome sin. sin. The Great Controversy, Ellen White, page 146. A copy of one of Tetzel's indulgences was preserved and reads as follows. May our Lord Jesus Christ have pity on thee and, and, and absolve thee by the merits of his most holy pa- passion. And I, in virtue of the apostolic, apostolic power that has been confided to me, absolveth thee from all ecclesiastical censures, judgments, and penalties, which thou mayest have incurred. Moreover, from all excess sins and crimes that thou mayest have committed, however great and enormous they may be, and from whatsoever cause were they even reserved, for our most holy father, the Pope, and for... The apostol or the apostolic see, uh, spelt S E E. I blot out all the stains of inability and all marks of infamy that thou mayest have drawn upon thyself on this occasion. I remit the penalties that thou should shouldest have endured in purgatory. I restore thee anew to participation in the sacraments of the church. I. Uh, I incorporate incorporate thee afresh in the common or the communion of saints, and reestablish thee in the purity and innocence which thou hadst thy baptism, or at thy baptism, so that in the hour of death, the gate by which sinners enter 
the place of torments and punishment shall be closed against thee, and on the contrary, the gate leading to the paradise of joy shall be open. And if thou shouldest not die for long years, and er, this grace will remain unalterable until thy last hour shall arrive. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Amen. Friar John Tetzel, Commissionary, has signed this with his own hand. History of Reformation, J. Merle D. Abigin, or Abigin, uh I don't know, 1, 258, it may be chapter 1 or volume 1. Uh, but anyways, we went from page 121 all the way to 125. <laughs> Anything to say? That's a lot of pictures. There wasn't even any more pictures after the first one, but it goes from 122 before that picture to 123 for the first half of that quote. Then it goes to 124. There's a blank space. It says Tetzel's procession, and then it goes to Uh 125. Yeah, that one. I can't pronounce that very well. Yeah, it's just, like, confusing the way he organized the pages. Mm-hmm. Are you there, Dad? <clears throat> You're doing a good Our job reading. You can County. Uh, hi. That's good. Some of these words are confused. <laughs> confusing. Okay, do you want me to continue reading? I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> yeah, you can go ahead That's and keep so- reading. Um, actually, Mark, I said bring you... Um, some stuff that is finished if you wanted me to bring you some more. I won't be back to the spur for like two hours. Okay, hmm. but you are cross. Oh, are you going back towards there right now? Which way are you going? Well, I'm going to Railco, which is just west of the spur. And I will be unloading there, and then I will be headed out of there. So, I mean, if you follow me now... You could need me, but you'd have to leave right now. Oh, and I don't have it all, like, packed up or anything, so. Oh, well. Okay. I can do it after the radio show, I guess, sometime. Okay. I I am almost uh, Carbon County, so. Okay. Okay, well, I'm going to continue reading. Tetzel was so enthusiastic about these pardons that he declared, Indulgences are the most precious and the most noble of God's gifts. Come and I will give you letters, all properly sealed, by which even the sins that you intend to commit may be pardoned. Um, IBID, which is the last one, 1-252. I think that is volume 252 and chapter 1. Tetzel told the people that if they did not buy these indulgences for their dead relatives and friends, that they would be punished in the day of judgment. So important were they, said he, that if you only had one coat, you ought to strip it off and sell it in order to obtain this grace. He was a super salesman and bragged, I have saved more souls by my indulgences than the Apostle Peter by his sermons. But he was far more than a super salesman. He was a super deceiver. Previously, he had been convicted of adultery and other vices so bad that the Emperor Maximilian had ordered him to be put in a sack and thrown into the river. 
Though a special pardon by Frederick of Saxony, he escaped his fate, or through a special pardon. It was said that no one in all of Germany could have been found that was better qualified to Tetzel's business than Tetzel himself. Page 126. Uh, anything to say? Nope. Okay. But strangely enough, it was these indulgences that served as the means for bringing about the Reformation. It was the sale of Tetzel's indulgences in Germany that caused Martin Luther to post his 95 theses theses on the door of the Wittenberg Chapel, challenging their scriptural validity. We learned all about this in history, so that's really awesome. Like this whole thing that they did. Um, and then there is a picture of Luther who is nailing his thesis to the door of the place at Wittenberg. The Schlosskirk at Wittenberg. Um, and it's just like a black and white picture. And we're on page 127, and I'm going to keep reading because that was like another super short page. <laughs> and how ironic that on the place where Peter was killed by the Romans now stands St. Peter's Basilica, probably the most majestic or majestic church in the world. And even more ironic is the fact that it was mostly funded by the sale of pardons thought to be, the, be by the authority of the keys given to Peter by Jesus. Oh, wow, look at that, another picture. Um, there's this whole thing, uh, relating to it. It's a picture of the Vatican City and St. Peter's Basilica. And it says, St. Peter's Dome was designed by Michelangelo Bu uh, Buonarroti, who also painted the murals in the Sistine Chapel nearby. The interior of the church is nearly the length of a football field, and the dome is 452 feet high. In 1950, Pope Pius uh, XII, I don't remember what number that is, I think it's 12, announced that the excavation Pius beneath the, the grottoes. Yeah. Um, Pius the 12th. Pius the 12th, got it. In 1950, Pope Pius the 12th announced that the excavations beneath the grottoes of St. Peter's had unearthed a number of tombs dating from the first century of the Christian era one of which was located directly under the high altar, it was established to the satisfaction of the Vatican archaeologists as that of St. Peter. American people, uh, I don't know what that is, I can't remember, encyclopedia. That's encyclopedia, uh, yep. Yeah, yep. I remembered it. Um, page, or volume, or chapter 16, volume 264. Uh, now we're on page 128. Anything to say? <laughs> no, but if it wasn't for this uh, indulgence thing, Martin Luther wouldn't have gone crazy and started his ministry. And it's kind of funny because he never intended to, to, uh, to start a church. He was just trying to get the the Catholic Church to repent and turn back to the scriptures and turn away from all these man-made doctrines, which is kind of interesting because that's what I would like to do as well. But um, but Martin Luther never wanted to call it a church. He It was just meetings. He was just trying to teach people to turn back to God and turn back to the scriptures. So pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, we learned about that in history too. <laughs> 
we actually learned a lot about like this era in history this year. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Uh, page 128. Many different world religions are founded upon some truth, some good intent, or seemingly righteous endeavor. They build beautiful buildings, they show charitable works to the poor, they greet all with open arms, and they bestow great honors upon the leaders of nations. They believe that God is blessing them when, er, uh, they believe that God is blessing them when their wealth increases. They assume that when numbers join their church, it is a sign of God's power, and they believe that when the world gives respect and honor to them, that they have God's favor as well. Yet in reality, all of the above are dangerous perils to the power of God's people and the priesthood keys. For over 1,800 years, the keys of the priesthood were misinterpreted, mishandled, and misused. And ironically, they are not much better understood and used today. And used today. However, through Joseph Smith, these keys and a knowledge of them were restored, which will be the subject of the next chapter. Hey, look at that. Chapter 8. Woo. Anything to say? Is it just me, or does this seem like a really short chapter? Kim, this is part three of chapter seven, and I didn't realize <laughs> that there were so many pictures because I don't actually have the book. <laughs> Emma had it in the yeah, office, and I, and I just have the... Yeah, so... And I don't even think there are that many pictures. There are three total pictures... And that there's just like this one that just says Tetzel's Procession, and it isn't actually a picture. It's just a white, like, 15 indentations. It's a photocopy. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like a photocopy of the document. Huh. Right. Well, yeah, this was a weird uh, last third of the chapter. It was kind of short. Yeah. Okay, well, the other two parts were extremely long, so uh, guest call-in yeah. number is 917-889-8827. Emmett, did you, have, uh, did you bring up the studio on your tablet? Yeah, um, my tablet timed out. Hold on, let me unlock it. So I have my tablet and then, so every, uh, like, five minutes it turns off and times out, and I just put uh, it to the left while I was reading. Okay, so, um, so you know, if anybody has any questions about these things, you can call in right now. Uh, Emma will read the first part of the next chapter, and then if we don't have anybody with questions or comments, either through the, the call-in number or the chat room, then we'll end the program for tonight. So, uh, once okay. again, that's 917-889-8827, 917-889-8827, and the uh, chat room is at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. Go ahead, Emmett, and I'll mute myself. Okay. Chapter 8 is called Joseph Smith and the Keys. Um, it is on page 976 of Enzyme to the Nations. Volume 2, <laughs> and it is in Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, in this. Okay, page 129. And the keys of the mysteries of the kingdom shall not be taken from my servant Joseph Smith. Uh, June 
whole bunch of dots and commas. DNC 64 uh, 5. Or chapter 64 verse 5 or whatever. This chapter will be divided into four sections. Oh great, more subdivision. <laughs> Joseph Smith, ordained in the pre-existence. Number two, Joseph Smith, head of the last dispensation. Number three, Joseph Smith, one on earth at a time. Number four, Joseph Smith holds these keys forever. Uh, number one, Joseph Smith ordained in the pre-existence. There are several references that attest to the fact that Joseph Smith was foreordained in the pre-existence to be the head of this last dispensation. At that time, uh, someone made a noise. At that time, he received a special appointment and calling to enable him to perform such a great earthly mission. Brigham Young and Wilford Woodruff both mentioned Joseph's calling before he came into mortality. You will be thankful, every one of you, that Joseph Smith, Jr., uh, was ordained to this calling before the world's war. I told you that, this, or that the doctrine of election and reprobation is a true doctrine. It was decreed in the councils of eternity, eternity long before the foundations of the earth would lay, were laid that he should be the man in the last dispensation of this world to bring forth the word of God to the people, receive the fullness of the keys and power of the priesthood of the Son of God. The Lord had his eye upon him, and upon his father, and upon his father's father, and upon their uh, progenitors clear back to Abraham, and from Abraham to the flood, from the flood to Enoch, from Enoch to Adam. He has watched that family and that blood as it has circulated from its fountain to the birth of that man, he was foreordained in an, in eternity to preside over this last dispensation, as much so as Pharaoh was foreordained to be a wicked man, or as was Jesus to be the savior of the world, because he was the oldest son in the family. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, uh, Chapter 7, Volume 289-290. That is page 130, somewhere about halfway through that quote. Anything to say? Anyone called in? No? Just keep on going. I'm up. Okay. No one's called in. Joseph Smith will hold the keys of this dispensation to the endless ages of eternity. It is the great dispensation God ever gave to man, the greatest dispensation God ever gave to man, and he was ordained before the world was to stand in the flesh and organize this work. Discourses of Wilford Woodruff, page 158. Joseph Smith, or Joseph's mission as dispensation was to serve as a witness to the whole world. He explains this in his own words. I shall read the 24th chapter of Matthew and give it a literal rendering and reading. And when it is right, rightly understood, it will be edifying. Although I thought very oddity of its rendering would be edifying anyhow. I thought the very oddity of its rendering would be edifying anyhow. And it will be preached the gospel of the kingdom in the whole world to a witness over all people. And then will the end come. I will now read it, read it in German, which he did, and many Germans were pres who were present said he translated it correctly. The Savior said when these tribulations should take place, it should be committed to a man who should be a witness over the whole world the keys of knowledge, power, and revelations should be revealed 
to a witness who should hold the testimony to the world, it has always been my province to dig up hidden mysteries, new things for my hearers. Just as the time, or just at the time when some men think that I had or have had no right to the keys of the priesthood, just at that time I have the greatest right. The Germans are an exalted people. The old German translators are the most nearly correct, most honest of any of the translators, and therefore I get testimony to bear me out in the revelations that I have preached for the last 14 years. Old German, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew translations, all I say is true. They cannot be impeached, and therefore I am in good company. And that is page 131. Anything to say? Uh, it's pretty interesting that he talks about the uh, Joseph Smith translation of Matthew chapter 24, where it is said that the gospel would be preached unto the witness, and then the end would come. Joseph Smith also taught that God, the witness, would come on the earth in the last days and do the same or similar things as Jesus did, and that he would come to... Uh, gain a body so you know um, I don't know I don't know what Joseph Smith actually knew about all of that I think he knew some of it but the problem is a lot of what we get comes from people writing things down and did they get it right did they write it down right I mean You've got to have discernment to know. You can't just say, well, Joseph Smith said this because somebody wrote down something that sounds similar to what he said. You know, and that goes with the uh, God the Witness quotes and everything else. Uh, Joseph Smith, he pretty much didn't write a whole lot down without somebody else just, he spoke more than anything else. And other people wrote things down that he said, but... Um, <sighs> just going back to that quote yeah so god the witness comes joseph smith was one mighty and strong he was one of 12 for this earth or 15 because the father god the creator god the redeemer and god the witness are also considered mighty and strong and then there were 12 others who were mighty and strong and then underneath of them were the 70s or the noble and great ones um, but Joseph Smith came as an Elias to lay the foundation of Zion so that it could be redeemed by the Messiah that would come, or the witness, not Jesus, but Messiah ben Judah. Uh, that's Jesus. Messiah ben Joseph is the one that would come in this dispensation. So the other thing, too, God doesn't take away keys once he gives them. So Adam and Andiamen, when God the creator comes who is Michael the archangel who was Adam um, God you know God the creator is going to have every one of us to have have the keys turn those keys into him and then he's going to give them all to Messiah Ben Judah who is Jesus Christ or God the Redeemer and then God the Redeemer because of what he did, we we are filled to him through the law of adoption, and he becomes our father. And, and, you know, that's just the progression of the God, Jesus Christ, 
has gained that exaltation to a point, he's guaranteed to receive it. But um, he will be he will be a father uh, in the next mortal probation, where Jesus Christ showed John the Revelator that a new heaven and a new earth, or new heavens and a new earth would be created. That's because this earth becomes a sea sea of fire and glass, and it it joins with the celestial world world, and becomes a a pre-existence to a new earth. What the heck was uh, that? A new earth is some idiot. Did anyone else hear that? Yeah, I just told you, some idiot on the CB radio, because they, they can't just do their job and shut up. They've got to make all kinds of stupid noises all the time and do all kinds of stuff. They talk about all the stupid things. Yeah, I was like, what? And then I forgot that I was muted. I was like, what did he just oh. say? I like her yeah, so much. Guy. Like, what? Yeah, I... And I was on a channel that only one other guy was on, on my TV radio. So I know exactly the idiot that did that. But I don't respond to people when they're like that. And you get different ones, and they've got all kinds of stupid noises they want to make. And it's like, really, dude? I wish I could just turn the TV radio off, but I do have to monitor it. So anyway, but uh, when... Um, in Matthew chapter 24 of the Inspired Translation, it said the gospel would be preached unto a witness, and then the end would come. That's God the witness. And he's talking about a future time of tribulation in the earth. That's today. Joseph Smith may have thought he was the witness, or other people who wrote down what they thought Joseph Smith was saying they may have thought he was the witness, but that actually contradicts DNC section 130, where at that time, Jesus Christ is telling Joseph Smith that God the witness does not have a body. But Joseph Smith also taught that God the witness would have a body, and he would come to do uh, the same or similar things as Jesus did in bearing witness of the Father and the Son. So, so I mean... It's all interesting, and it's all there. It's just that, well, it's kind of like Kim and I went to this really interesting uh, conference thing yesterday, and they found new uh, first-century manuscripts of the book of James and other books that they have translated into English, but they were originally written in Hebrew. And it's great that they can translate all this stuff, but you still have to have the spirit of discernment with confirmation of the Holy Spirit to understand the correct interpretation of Scripture, no matter how good you are at translating, because you can take it one way or the other based on a a few words in a verse. You can go all kinds of different places. So, I mean, we have to... It doesn't matter what comes out. We have to actually go to God to make sure that the interpretation of Scripture that we have aligns with the interpretation of Scripture that God has, as it's his interpretation. So anyway, um, is there anything else that needs to be said, or do we have any phone callers at all for guest callers? Um, it doesn't look like we uh, have any guest callers. 
Okay. Well, um, I guess I will just dedicate the pro or like closing prayer, and then I'm gonna go ahead and play the music. Okay. Okay. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank thee, Father, for the opportunity to come and to talk about these interesting facts of history that we might understand where we've been as a people and and understand what the keys are. We love thee, Father, and we say these things in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus Christ. Amen. Cue the music. Amen. Thank you. 